0: going to uh, just hit into John chapter 13 and uh, get into the word today. Um, we're going to look at what, uh, I've never really thought of it this way until reading FF F. Bruce. You know, we we know from last week that right after the triumphal entry in, God, in John's gospel, uh was a shift in gears where no longer did Jesus have the public ministry that he had had so far in the book, but now he's just going to spend the final few days of his life ministering to his own, to his own disciples. And so FF Bruce put it in a book that I was reading today, the upper room ministry is directed to his inner circle. And so chapters 13 through 17 is going to be an upper room ministry. And a special time that he has with his disciples and with the father, times of teaching and um, times of preaching and times of praying as well. And we need to take John uh, chapter 13 in light of John chapter one, where in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Uh, We studied that nearly a year ago, just that Jesus is the word. He's the reason for life. He's the creator. Uh, We want to take chapter 13 in the context of chapter 20, where we know that that key verse of the book is that these things were written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing you might have life in his name. And so everything that's going to happen in chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 is so that even today here in Primeville, people would believe. And that maybe you would believe for the first time today that Jesus is God, that he's the savior of the world. And that today would be the day you find life in his name when you've been looking for it all over the place. And the reason I bring to mind the importance of the context of this is because if you don't keep it within the framework of the purpose of John, then we're going to read of something like the foot washing you know, uh, of Jesus to the disciples. And we're gonna bring all kinds of weird application out of it. We're gonna go places that John never intended us to go uh, through the Holy Spirit. And um, and so we want to look at it in context today. And uh, and so let's do that. Let's look at chapter 13. Once again, I'm just thinking of the focus of the entire chapter is Christology and soteriology. Keep that in mind well, that we might know Jesus and that we might know how to be saved. Now, verse one, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loves them to the end. Now, John has been kind of periodically updating us As to where these events are happening in light of the feast of Passover. And the reason for that is to remind us that Jesus is heading towards that prophetic death of being a sacrifice for sin. Of being what John the Baptist said he would be. Which is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And so it just reminds the readers of the prophetic death that Jesus is heading towards. Heading to Die. Uh, it's inviting us. John is inviting us to see the foot washing we're going to read about as an anticipation of Jesus's own Passover death. His act as the Lamb of God, who is going to humble himself uh, for the sake of others. He's going to die so that others could live. And it says in our text that Jesus knew his hour had come that he should depart from this world to the father. If you spend much time reading the gospels early on in the gospels, Jesus is constantly working miracles and people are super excited about that. And then uh, he'll tell them like, okay, now that the miracles happen, just shh, you know, don't, don't go tell people yet. It's not my time yet. It's not time for any sort of revolt. It's not time for any sort of revolution. It's not time even yet for me to die yet uh, and yet, as you read those gospels, there comes a point where Jesus finally realizes it's time. It's time for me to go, and a big deal will be made about me, i.e., the triumphal entry. And then people are going to turn on me because they realize I'm not coming to fulfill their agenda, but a bigger agenda to redeem mankind, and and that would require the death of Jesus. And so now he's beginning. We're seeing that more in the Gospel of John, where he's saying. It is time, it's time now. It's time for me to go uh, from this world and to go to the Father. And then we have this phrase that I have always thought as, I was trying to think of the word that like, what does this phrase do to me? Um, and let me read the phrase to you. It says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Th- think of that phrase, having loved his own who were in the world he loved them to the end. Uh, I was just like, what is that? What is that doing to me? That's something that, I don't, you know, I, I kind of wrote down the word sobering and I was like, that's not it. That's not it. It's not like sobering. It's, but it is like, and, and I, this word came to me and I was like, do I even know what that means? And it's the word poignant, <laughs> poignant. I had to, I spelled it right when I wrote it down, but then I had to look it up and it speaks of something that's moving. And something that's touching, something that touches our heart to hear about, that this is our God, people. This is our God who loved the world and who loves his own. And in the midst of the world that God loves, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, in the midst of all of that, he's calling people to himself. He's drawing people to himself. And that's you today, but he also has his own. He has those that have believed in him. We just saw some slides of guys that were in the gym for two days talking to Scott and they became his own. They became disciples. And then, two, <laughs> was it two lunches later? It's like, now that you're a Christian, tell this person about Jesus. Like, that is amazing, you know? Um, and more people became his own. And having loved the world, he, he, there's a special, there's something special about it in the word of even his own. And he loved them to the end. And so immediate context, the disciples that he's moving into this upper room ministry for the next four chapters with. um, But also, I believe that stretches to us as well. If you're a Christian today, he's loved you to the end. And so it's, it's a phrase that is poignant and moving, and it's a touching portrait of his love to us. He's loved his own. I was just glanced at the Greek lexicon, and when it speaks of his own, in the Greek it's uh, hos idiot." And, but when I first saw it, I, my eyes read hot idiot, <laughs> you know, I was like, he loves the hot, which was my nickname in high school, in case you're wondering, like, he loved the hot idiots all the way, okay, you're like, amen, bro, right, okay, And so just in in a couple chapters, Jesus is going to say, as the father has loved me, I also have loved you. And what do we do with that? What do we do about being the hos idios, you know, being his own? As the father loved Jesus, Jesus loved his own. And then he goes on to say, so abide in my love, abide in that, this, uh, loving of us, how deep and how wide did it go? It went all the way to the end. Those of us that have read the gospels, we know where that end went and and beyond, but to the cross, right? Uh, Some Bibles and and, uh, translations say to the uttermost. He loved them to the uttermost or utterly or the utmost, all the way to the end. That's how deep and wide That's the breadth of the love of Jesus is that he loves us to the the end, the cross, the bitter end, but even beyond the cross to the empty tomb and to his second coming and his gathering us together to himself and being with him in his new creation, the new Jerusalem with us. He loved us to the end. And so something uh, of such a wonderful, poignant phrase is going to lead us to something beautiful as we look at verse 2. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son do betray him. Jesus, knowing that the father had given all things into his hand and that he'd come from God and was going to God. And so pause right there real quick. So uh, Passover, uh, supper time, about 6 p.m. Jesus, there's just this deep, Thought going on of the depth of the love of God for his own what 's going on in the midst of his own is that there 's someone in the midst that has been making a plan to betray Jesus to exchange Jesus and his whereabouts in a good time for arrest uh, for money for cash uh, for silver and uh, and in the midst of it, we see a little bit of You know, we know that there's an aspect of God's sovereignty in the mix of it, that it was prophesied, we'll see it in just a little bit, uh, that one of Jesus' own close friends would betray him. Um, We see that there is an aspect of Judas' own heart that's just giving himself over to the flesh and to his desires. There's something satanic about that. Um, And we don't want to get off track, though, because the point of chapter 13 is, isn't like, whoa, how exactly does this work? You know, Judas wants to betray Jesus. It was prophesied. Jesus would, Judas would betray Jesus. And then the devil made him do it. What, you know, uh, there's a lot there and it is, it's a good study, but it's not the point of the study, but some of the original Greek into it leads us to something that's a little more specific towards the devil where it would read more that the devil had put into the devil's own heart that Judas would be the one to betray Jesus. So the devil doesn't have the sovereign aspect and control uh, that that the father does. He's just kind of working in the midst of things like, what can I do? What can I do? And then he's like, (laughs) you know, and so there's a bit of like, yep, Judas totally responsible. And, and the devil's also like, yeah, he's the one. Okay. So, Um, verse three, Jesus knew that the father had, had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God kind of sets the background of all that's going to happen, but with such power and status at Jesus's disposal, having given all things into his hand and knowing where he was going back to the right hand of the father, Back to glory, we might expect that someone with such power and status at his disposal that he might just rise up and smite the devil and, you know, set up some sort of utopia where he just creates the world afresh and might maybe bypasses the cross of Calvary and maybe create some sort of heaven on, I mean, that's kind of where the Jews wanted Jesus to go. Uh, That's where sometimes we want Jesus to go because it bypasses the cross that also is something that we take up daily to bear. And, uh, And yet he does something else. He's gonna go not so much to an exalting state of himself, but to a humiliating state of himself where he is going to go and wash the disciples' feet, including the feet of his betrayer. What we're going to see is the Lord of all creation, the one who spoke the universe from nothing. John chapter one told us that Jesus created the world and the universe because he's God. And we're gonna see the creator humbling himself, getting on his knees and taking the form of a servant which is just an outward illustration of something that Jesus had only been doing the whole time. One guy wrote uh, one word from his mouth and Saturn with all of its rings had burst forth. So what is he doing scrubbing these guys' toes? (laughs) It was Matt Carter that wrote that. He also then went on to say, we are marching deeper and deeper into the shadow of the cross. Everything from this point on is leading us directly to that moment when Jesus would be suspended on that cursed tree for ourself. And so the the foot washing we're about to read of is something that is marching us closer to the cross. It's something that is an illustration of the cross and the cleansing and the hope and the life that come to those that receive that work. And finally, Something before we get to verse four from FF Bruce, the solemn language of verse three prepares us for some act of divine majesty. And so having received all things into his hands from the father, knowing that he came from the father and was going to the father, it leads us to some sovereign act of majesty, which we would hope would be pull out your sword and bring out the white stallion and let's just kick some Roman booty, you know? And that's not what happens. What happens is a different act of sovereign majesty. In fact, a more important act of sovereign majesty. Let's get into it. In verse four, he rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. He adopted the dress of a menial slave. He adopted a dress that was looked down upon by both the Jews and the Gentiles. Caligula writes of that. And the act that Jesus would then don the dress of a servant is something that just shows that he was condescending and coming down to take the lowest place on the earth so that he could save the earth. And in this, Jesus is going to be teaching us two things. Number one, that no one is above serving, okay? Jesus, the Lord that, I like that, don't you? Like with one word, the rings burst forth on Saturn, you know? And yet even that God came and became a servant. He doesn't deny his character by serving these men in this act, but his character Makes this act of service even more profound. What followers of Jesus will ever have the right to refuse serving after watching Jesus serve in such a way? One guy said, Nothing kills selfless service like pride. And how many of us, even right now, reading of Jesus donning the attire of a servant, go, Wouldn't do that? No way. And then we're going to see him getting down on his knees and scrubbing a bunch of, I mean, it's on the gross side. Like even if there wasn't a bunch of dirt and road scum from, you know, all the donkeys and all the animals and all the, you know, I mean, you walk through countries that have, don't have the plumbing system that we have. And it's, there's just stuff flowing along the side of the road that you don't want to touchy touchy, you know, and, and to think of getting down and washing those feet, it's not going to do it, not going to do it and not going to do it. And yet here is Jesus with selfless pride. And so after he donned the attire of a servant, verse five, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. This is a task that's reserved for the most low menial servants. In the culture of the day, peers did not wash one another's feet except for very rarely and as a mark of great love. Enter in the very rarely and enter in the mark of great love, okay? Some Jews insisted that Jewish slaves should not even be required to wash the feet of others, that it should be reserved for Gentile slaves or for women or for children, okay? But Jesus brings down this, Uh, act of humility as an example for us and he's going to say in Luke chapter 22 verse 27 for who is greater he who sits at the table or he who serves is it not he who sits at the table yet I am among you as the one who serves we all know that we love a fine night out at a great restaurant don't we you know and the butler coming up or whatever with the towel over his hand. And you're just like, what can I get you? You know, and you're like, you can get me a steak, you know, and and all of that. And and we just kind of feel special, you know, and we're like, this guy is just, I just really appreciate being served. And could we do this every day, all day, all the time? Because I love it, you know? And, uh, and Jesus is saying, you know what, guess what the better task is? The better place to be isn't the one sitting at the table. The, I, I'm God, the Lord of all creation, and I'm telling you that I've come to be the one that serves. The key verse of the book of Mark, many would say, is chapter 10, verse 45. that it says that the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And that's the heart that he desires for all of his disciples, as we're going to see later on in the chapter. And so also Philippians chapter two, verse five, where it says, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So Jesus being God doesn't consider it robbery to call himself God. Like, well, that's a, a phrase that should only be used for God. Yeah, and guess what? I can use it because I'm God. Okay? I'm not robbing a title. I am God. Okay? And what did he do? He made himself of no reputation He came humble. He humbled himself to the point of being born in a manger. He humbled himself of being like less than a fox or a bird of the air that didn't have a hole to live in or a rock to lay his head on, you know, a pillow. But he went around Israel, Judea, Galilee, ministering to people, serving people, laying his life down for people, nothing but a life of servitude, okay? He went to the point of washing his friend's feet uh, down on the ground and scrubbing, you know, those hairy man toes, you know, and just, you know, he's like, I'll go that low, but guess what? I'll go even lower because Paul in Philippians doesn't talk about the foot washing as how far Christ descended, but he went all the way to the cross, the death of a cross, a Gentile execution tool. We get the word excruciating, from the cross, it's Latin and it means "excruciate," out of the cross. And so, every time you stub your toe and you say that was excruciating, you're using a phrase that's reserved for someone who's hung on the the Roman cross. This implement that was designed to inflict the utmost pain. It was reserved for criminals. It was down at eye level in the streets where the the naked victim would lay open and receive mockings and spittings. Where in the night wild beasts would come out of the mountains and rip apart the body while they hung alive on the cross. Where excrement would flow from their body and blood and and soil all up. and, And Jesus went even deeper for us. Than just washing his buddy's feet, which is a great example, but it's not the deepest. He goes even farther. This points to what he'll go through in, in the matter of a few hours. This death of the cross. D.A. Carson said, "The matchless self, excuse me, the matchless self-emptying of the eternal Son, the eternal Word, reaches its climax on the cross." The matchless self-emptying reaches its climax on the cross. Bruce said, the form of God was not exchanged to the form of a servant here. The form of God was revealed in the form of a servant. As the hymn Humility by James Montgomery said, nearest the throne of God must be the footstool of humility. Certainly no vestment is so becoming to a Christian minister as the apron of humility. So we see our God is humble and he humbles himself, washing the feet. Verse six, then he came to Simon Peter. Can you guys give me 12 more minutes? 12? Okay. He came to Simon Peter and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? I mean, we've all been in similar situations where maybe there's some sort of honoring happening and it's going around a circle or some sort of recognition or some sort of, you know, something's happening and it's going around the horn and it's going to come to you and you don't know how you're going to respond when it gets to you, okay? And what we have here is your Lord, your master, Peter's confessed him as the Christ, the son of the living God. He's dressed like a menial slave that no one dresses like that. Uh, He's coming around the corner. He's washing all these guys' feet. You know, there's something disturbing happening in Peter's heart. And when he gets to Peter, he says, Lord, are you washing my feet? His question, of course, suggests an indignant emphasis. Are you going to wash my feet? Reminds us a little bit of John the Baptist, maybe, right? When Jesus comes to John the Baptist to be baptized, and John the Baptist goes, <laughs> the same thing, you know, sometimes when you're baptizing people, you're like, okay, we got about five people that want to get baptized or something, and it's my cousin Jesus, you know? Uh, wait a minute, that's the Messiah, you know? And then he like, he's like, what am I going to do? Am I going to baptize this guy? And he says, am I to baptize you? I need to be baptized by you, <laughs> Right? And you're coming to me? There's this incredible moment in Peter where he doesn't know what's going on, which is kind of regular for Peter if you read much of the disciples. Peter at Caesarea Philippi, just declaring Jesus to be the Christ. And then a moment later, you know, saying you're not going to go to the cross though. And being rebuked as satanic To tell Jesus not to go to the cross was really from the pit of hell. Jesus answers here in this case and says to him in verse 7, Hey, what I'm doing you won't understand now, but you will know after this. And we've kind of been leading up to that, John chapter 12, verse 16. The, The disciples didn't know what was going on, but later on after Jesus rose from the dead, they would start to put those puzzle pieces together by aid of the Holy Spirit whom they now had. But Jesus says, you don't understand it now, but just in a couple days, even you're going to understand what I'm doing. You're going to get the big picture and guess what? It goes beyond foot washing. We're not even talking about foot washing right now, Peter, and Peter's still not there yet. He's not putting the puzzle pieces together. Verse eight, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus says to him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And so we got to understand here that there's something bigger than foot washing going on. I think there was a sermon, someone uses an example of kind of missing the point and the sermon title was um, all problems can be solved with a wash basin and a towel or something, you know? And it's like close, but no cigar, okay? There's something deeper than the actual foot washing and the towel and the basin that's happening here. As Jesus says to Peter, You've got to be washed. Okay? You've got to be washed. I'm going to hop, hop down and maybe come back. But because I'm thinking of Simon's response in verse 9. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, he who's bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. So poor, poor Peter. I mean, I'm kind of like peter in the sense that like kent hughes said poor old peter the only time he would open his mouth is to change feet if you get what that means old foot in the mouth peter's like <laughs> you know i mean that's totally me but believe it or not i was actually thinking of some of you i'm like yeah i do i, I like say the dumb stuff But there's some of you here in our body that is like, you say the stuff. You're like, I'm not afraid to just say like, what about this? You know? And uh, so you know who you are. You're like, nah, I'm totally Peter, you know? And uh, so, but poor Peter, right? Like he's like, oh my goodness, like my Lord is going around the horn and he, he's going to, he shouldn't wash my feet, right? It's like, yeah, no, yeah, no, don't wash my feet. He's like, hey, Peter, you don't understand right now what I'm doing, but no, 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 don't wash my feet. You know, it's like, if I don't wash your feet, then you got no part with me. Well, in that case, I know I want to part with you. I want to be a part of what you, okay, so don't, not only my feet, but my hands and my head and my whole entire body. It's like, no, just your feet is fine. And then he's like, what, it, 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 you know, and then he said, you know, and then Jesus says, you know, and Hey, all you need, once you're cleansed, all you need is like a foot washing. Okay. Okay. And all of you are clean. Oh good. All of us are clean, but not all of you, but oh, but not all of us. He's just, like, you know, and And honestly, you know, when you watch the disciples, they're like, I don't understand the parables. I don't understand what's going on, you know. And Jesus is just like, it's just going to be better if I just depart from you guys and go to the Father. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and then he's going to help you guys understand all things. And honestly, like as much as I've read and studied this week for this foot washing part, like there are guys all over the place is half of what's going on here, you know. And they all kind of, they all agree on the main things, you know. But on some of these peripheral things, it's like, I don't know. Satan totally went into the heart. So yeah, Satan went in, but it was also in Satan's heart, you know. And uh, it's just okay to be like, "Okay, Lord, what are you doing here?" And I can tell you this: the main point has nothing to do with the water and the Trader Joe's soap, you know, and the the nice, comfy cotton towel, you know. That's not the point. Those are the types and the pictures that are leading the disciples to understand the lowly, humble humiliation that Jesus was going to go through so that all disciples could be washed, okay? All right, so washing is important, just so you know, in the context is true for all times and places, right? Uh, And in the New Testament, we see that when people come to Jesus, there is a washing that takes place. There is, as Titus says, The washing of regeneration. Okay? When we come to Jesus and we put our trust in him for the forgiveness of sins, there's a work of the Holy Spirit that happens in us. The work of what Jesus has done on the cross is applied to our account so that his blood atones for our sins and washes our sins away. As the psalmist says, um, that though, oh, Isaiah, of course, says, though our sins were scarlet, he'll make us whiter than snow. But as the psalmist says, as far as the East is from the West, that's how far he's removed our transgressions from us. There's a washing that takes place. So the book of Hebrews speaks about this washing that happens and it cleanses us from a wicked conscience. Okay. Like, you know what you've done. He knows what you've done. And I've probably known what you've done. I mean, you're posting it all over Facebook for goodness sake. You know, And it's like, okay, when you come to Jesus, those things are washed away. So now you can serve Jesus with a fresh slate, a clean heart, and you can run without encumbrances and a guilty conscience because it's all been placed on Jesus at the cross. And so I want to ask you today, I had like 30 verses to go through, but I just want to ask you, it's pretty simple, isn't it? Like, come to Jesus and be washed today. Have you been washed? Have you had your sins washed away? Have you had your conscience cleansed so that you now can come and serve and worship the Lord and minister to his name and bless your brothers and sisters and help spread the gospel in the world? Because you got nothing to hide. It's all been washed away by Jesus. But if you're going to be like Peter and you're going to say, not so, Lord, you can't wash me. There's a problem there. You don't have any part in Jesus which can be speaking of even an inheritance with Jesus. Uh, you have no future with Jesus and you have no current part in the ministry of Jesus. What the Grahams are talking about up here, it is super foreign to you. Even if you think you understand what they're doing, if you're not in Jesus today, you don't have a clue what they're doing, okay? So today though, you can come to Jesus and be given that new mission because he does have a plan for you and you have a part for him. So Those that have been washed, it speaks of the work that the gospel does in us where the whole body is cleansed, the whole heart, soul, mind, and everything. You've been washed. There's no need to be fully washed again. Jeter, Jesus, Jeter. What do you call Jesus and Peter together? Jeter, okay. Uh, When Jeter are having their conversation, my mother-in-law and father-in-law, Ken and Sue, and I've always called them Ken Sue. okay? But... uh, so as they're having the conversation, Jesus is teaching Peter, and he's saying, once you've had the work that I'm going to do at the cross, your whole hole is clean, okay? There's no need to have, go through some process Every week where you take a Catholic mass, for instance, and you would try to believe, which it's not biblical, they just believe that, uh, that Jesus, every Catholic mass is sacrificed again and again and again and again on the cross. That's what mass is. Not necessary. Okay. Jesus died once for all. It's a completely New Testament principle that Jesus died one time for the sins of the world. And when we receive that, that one time cleansing happens that regenerates us. That's that cleansing that we're talking about. Okay, I, I heard a. I mean, we are done. Have it, twelve minutes is up. But just fun little story. I heard in two different places uh, in the last couple of weeks of a story, and it, it was actually originally the story of uh, an African uh, representative that had come to the United States. And when he came to uh, to the states, he had met an old friend that had visited Africa, and they invited him to his home. And his wife, you know, was there as they welcomed him into the home, and they said, "We prepared a delicious meal for you." Uh, And so if you'd like to use the bathroom before you use, uh, we eat the meal, go ahead. And he said, I'll take you up on that, you know? And, And he went into the bathroom and he was in there for like 45 minutes, you know? And they're all like sweating and the food's getting cold and they're like, boy, like what is going on, you know? And, and he finally emerges from the bathroom, like clearly refreshed from having taken a shower and like used the bathroom and just got all clean. And And they're like, okay then, (laughs) have a seat, you know? And it's just the picture of like, hey, you've already been clean. I'm assuming you've taken a shower today, probably earlier, you know? And the disciples had already been ready for Passover. They probably bathed and like, you don't need the whole shebang every Sunday. You don't have to get saved again every Sunday. Once you're saved, you're born again. Once for all, your sins are washed away by the blood of the lamb, hallelujah, all right? Yeah, praise God. Yeah, wasn't expecting such a good hearty amen on that one, you know? But then the foot washing, a couple different thoughts on this. The foot washing are some of the just acts of grace that God has given us as being part of the body of Christ. Once you've been, once you've had that cleansing, then there's just things that as we are Christians, we go through and it's just washing the dirt off your feet. It's been a long week, it's been a hard week, and it's just the grace of God, through times of some believe, confessing our sins to one another, confessing our sins to the Lord, taking communion with one another, spending time under the word of God, washing us, as, as Ephesians chapter five talks about, our groom Jesus, washing us with the water of the word. And so uh, the, the question today, as the worship team comes on up, wherever you are. Can we get the worship up? Okay, there you are. Okay. Wherever you are, the question is, have you been washed? They had great lessons in it that as Jesus was washing these feet, guess who was one of those sets of feet that Jesus washed? Judas Iscariot was going to leave the dinner. And in fact, I think it's uh, Mark's gospel says that Satan entered him at the dinner, and went to go betray him. And Jesus humbles himself before his enemy and washes this disciple's feet. But there's also an example in Judas of someone who's been a part of everything that Jesus did, including having his feet washed by Jesus, but he's never had the entire cleansing. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you're like, I go to Calvary Chapel, I'm on the church bulletin page, like, you know, like I'm an American, so that makes me a Christian, you know, and all that kind of stuff. It's totally wrong. But maybe like you're just part of the church. But I don't mean this like you Judas, you know, but maybe you're a Judas. Maybe you've never been born again. Maybe you've never had that big cleansing of salvation where you've come to Jesus as Lord and Savior. You let, have let him wash you And cleanse your heart and take away your sins. And now he's the Lord of life. He's everything to you. And you're a follower of his. And today, by God's grace, he's brought you here to be confronted with that question. Have you ever been born again? Have you ever been washed? And I just want to invite you to come to Jesus today. And to receive the washing. And I want to invite you Christians today to just stretch your toes out a little longer right now and just let the Lord give you just some good exfoliation, right? Let the Lord just work in your life right now. Let Him refresh you and minister to you. As we close in song, confess your sins to the Lord. Worship the Lord. Receive calling on your life to go and be used by Him. Maybe there needs to be time today where you take a brother aside or a sister aside and you just confess sin to them and be free from stuff. And that would be a moment that the Lord's just like, let's just get those areas that have gotten dirty throughout the last couple of weeks. And so let's pray right now. Move toward just letting the Lord work in our midst. What an incredible story and picture today, Jesus. We just want to say right now, Lord, there's no one like you. You're amazing. The creator coming and kneeling and washing the filthy feet of his creation. We just say right now, Lord, Buddhism ain't got nothing on you. Mormonism ain't got nothing on you. Islam doesn't have anything on you, Jesus. You're the king of kings and and yet you humbled yourself and became a servant to the lowly, even to your enemy, even to the treacherous Judas. You're an example to us, Lord. And Lord, we don't want to miss the big point, I think just for this Sunday, that you are the God who washes We just pray you would wash us, Lord. Clay was singing a song earlier about how you are holy. You're holy. You are pure and there's none like you. Impart your holiness to us. And just right now, just as we are in prayer if you know that you've never been washed clean, you've never had your sins forgiven, you've never given your life over to Jesus and let him wash you, I just want to invite you right now where you're at to stand, to respond to the Bible today say, Lord, wash me. Right now in your seat, maybe you just, it's a struggle, man, I stand right now and it's, it was evident in the circle of friends who Jesus had washed. And today I believe it's, it needs to be evident that you would say, Jesus, wash me of my sins. I am one who's been washed by Jesus. We just give a moment right now and we're praying for you because there's a lot tugging at you. This world would applaud you for being strong and making it on your own and just doing your best and and you know what? By the end of your life, hopefully the good will outweigh the bad and maybe God will kind of owe you a few favors and let you into his kingdom. That's not what the Bible says. Bible says, you need to be washed by Jesus. And so as Clay sings this first part of this song, we're just going to reserve just a time for anyone that knows, I need the washing. That initial cleansing of my heart and my mind and my conscience, that salvation, the forgiveness of sin. We invite you to stand, to be numbered with us, followers of Jesus.